With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Are you ready for a fire? I've got one for you today. I'm going to connect the nationwide crime wave to the absentee father wave. Fearless contributor Delano Squires will join us to talk about his column, calling for fearless men to stand up. And fearless sports writer Greg Couch will give us his take on last night's NBA Finals Game 1. All that and more, next! Welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock, joined as always by my main sidekick, right-hand man, Uncle Jimmy. Fantastic show planned for you. Let's get it rolling. Let's start a fire. No longer able to constantly troll Donald Trump for clicks and ratings, corporate media outlets are returning to a familiar friend for traction and relevance. Crime. Yeah, if it bleeds, it leads. That's an old adage from television. On Tuesday, corporate media focused on the apparent crime wave thrashing America over the 4th of July weekend. CNN published a story titled, More Than 230 People Fatally Shot in Shootings Over the 4th of July Weekend. All right, if you actually took the time to read the story, you'd learn that the death toll was 34, a 34% drop from a year ago. 233 fatal shootings compared to 314 in 2020. I'm not suggesting violent crime is declining in America. Last year's numbers were skewed because of the tragic death of fentanyl freedom fighter, Reverend Martin George Floyd Jr. III. That legalized violence across our major cities. Violent crime is up. Black Lives Matter, Antifa, and the Defund the Police movement have been successful in making major American cities where poor black communities are, they've made them more dangerous. Mission accomplished, guys. Great job. My point is that with Trump out of office, corporate media will not ignore the, 2020, the 2021 crime spike the way it did the summer of George Floyd, rioting, looting, arson, and murder. Gun violence, and I put that in quotes, will be the corporate media's go-to narrative of choice. I've never owned a gun. I've never thought about owning a gun until the last few years when BLM and Antifa started burning down cities and promoting a race war. But now, I think about buying a gun pretty much every day. I don't think America has a gun violence problem. America has an absentee father problem. The absence of fathers has more to do with America's crime wave than the presence of guns. The American zip codes with the highest percentage of non-nuclear families have the highest violent crime rates. Corporate media refuse to address this. They ignore the absentee father crime wave the same way they ignored the Reverend George Floyd crime wave. It's enough to make you think the mainstream media are completely uninterested in solutions. They only want ratings and power. Or maybe they just want to confuse and distract. Over the 4th of July weekend, I traveled home to Indianapolis to spend the holiday with family and friends. On Sunday, I attended a backyard barbecue with about 30 people. I started a conversation defending disgraced comedian Bill Cosby. I support Bill because he's the last popular icon who defended the traditional black family, argued that Black Lives Matter, the LGBTQ agenda, and the Democratic Party are attacking traditional families and want to remake the nuclear family. I further argued that black people will not rise out of the chaos and dysfunction until the black man returns to lead black families and black communities. 
Jimmy, <laughs> you would have thought I burned a cross in the middle of the, the dining room. My <laughs> kid. People's minds exploded. And the overwhelming majority of the people I was arguing with were black adults in long-term traditional relationships. Say that, please. There was only one white person at the barbecue. My point is, corporate media disinformation has confused us, black people, to the point we don't even know what really ails us. We think it's Trump, or gun laws, or Proud Boys, or the so-called insurrection. It's the absence of fathers, or the emasculation of fathers. The black community is controlled by feminine emotions. We have a matriarchal culture. Oprah Winfrey, Stacey Abrams, Kamala Harris, they're the gold standard of blackness. The lesbian founders of Black Lives Matter are the silver medalists. DeRay McKesson, Little Nas X, Don Lemonade, they take the bronze medals. A black heterosexual Christian man, any black man like Martin Luther King Jr. finishes in last place. Well behind George Floyd, Eric Garner, Michael Brown, Rayshard Brooks, or any other black man killed while resisting white police officers. A lack of emotional control causes young black men to settle disputes with guns rather than dialogue or avoidance. That problem won't be fixed until black fathers not only return to the home, but reassert themselves as leaders of their homes. Jimmy, that's my fire for today. Woo! You're going to throw some lighter fluid on this? You're going to try to put a fire extinguisher to it? <laughs> eh, I don't know, man. Um, it's, it's, it's not a joke, man. Uh, 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 I think the thing that sticks out to me, first of all, just first of all, is that in society, women, women nowadays, especially our women, they love to tell you, Girl, I need me a, I need me a husband. I need to find me a husband. You, you know what you never hear him say? I need to find me a man. <laughs> you want a husband, but she don't want a man. Damn, that's pretty good. <laughs> I'm just saying that's my thought, because you're saying what we need, right? What you're saying we need ain't really what they want. Because if you give them what they need, you're going to take them out of their position of power. Women are enjoying running shit nowadays. They don't want no man to come in there and say, hold on. Now, you know what women really don't want to hear a man tell them? Honest to goodness. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Look, and I know right now people are like, man, these two sexist pigs. And, and I'm just wanting my conversation back in Indianapolis, I'm talking about, and these are with friends and family that I truly love and have known my entire life. But that's kind of where the conversation started. I'm not going to call her name, but somebody very close to you, you've met them. Uh, very, you know, they live out in Los Angeles. I'm very close to them. We've all been to dead. You dinner. only let me meet her once. She's good looking, <laughs> I'm going to tell you. <laughs> stay away from her. <laughs> anyway, I started a conversation there, and I told, I, I pissed her off. I said, hey, look. You and Stacey Abrams, y'all playing a game of checkers in a game of chess. And there's a reason why when there was grounded, based black men in the 1950s and 60s, and I used Martin Luther King and Malcolm X as examples, they were playing a game of chess and were having success. Grounded, based in the church, taking emotions out of it and just playing the game of chess of life and moving pieces forward and getting black people ahead. I said, now we got this emotional game of checkers, of satisfying feelings. And, and I go, it's just way too much emotional energy and black boys being raised in homes with no relationship with their fathers, they're mimicking the emotional uh, uh, energy of their mothers. And everybody's playing a game of che uh, checkers now, in a game of chess. The, the thing that gets me is, we acting like this is something brand new. This ain't brand new, Jason. 
You, you, you said in your, in your little, oh, and you said it. We act like all these problems just started with Donald Trump. We act like this is something brand new. Oh, this happened. Uh-uh, man, hey, the Bible says that there's nothing new under the sun. What you're doing now done already been done. A lot of truth in that. My mother always said, ain't nothing new but the doers. There it is. Yeah. But, hey, man, look, and, and, and with these people, these, what you want to call them, these wokeity-wokes, yeah. these are the same people that are always quick to tell you, that Africa is the birthplace of man. Yeah? These these people, these these same people. Jesus was a black man, right? They pick and choose what they want to tell you, right? Yeah. Now, let me just ask you a question. If this is true, right, and Africa's the birthplace of man, my Bible says that Adam and Eve was the first man and woman on this earth, right? Yes. So if Africa's the birthplace of man, and the Bible says Adam and Eve was the first man and woman, then wouldn't that mean that we started this thing? Wouldn't that mean that we, as black people, started this thing? Yes. Okay, so I'm just sitting there saying, man, look, we all know the whole story of Adam and Eve. I mean, if, if we want to claim it, we know the story. God gave Adam and Eve the world, gave them everything. Said, just don't eat off of this one tree. That's all you got to do. And you can do whatever you want to do. Adam is the man of the house. Adam leaves the house, leaves Eve at the house, and what do Eve do? Go strike up a conversation with the devil. And what the devil do? Talk. Girl, go ahead and taste this thing. <laughs> huh? Ain't that what happened? That's what happened. Adam comes back home after doing what men do back then. I don't know what the hell they did. What they do? Killing lions? <laughs> Building pyramids? I don't know. Maybe he had to have a FaceTime with, maybe he had to have a face conference with God, a FaceTime call with God. Maybe these are the things he had to do. He walk in the house, he see Eve with that old dumbass look on her face. He talking about, Eve, what the hell did you do? She talking about, huh? <laughs> she talking about, oh, well, see, well, what had happened was me and Lucas was talking, and Adam like, hold up, Lucas? You talking about Lucifer? <laughs> oh, well, whatever. Anyway, I knew you was going to say that. So we was talking, and you know, Adam, he was telling me that the reason God don't want you to eat from this tree is because God don't want you to be as smart as him, Adam. That's why. And what Adam should have done right then and there, and I'm telling you, man, listen to this. If Adam would have stopped right then and kicked Eve's ass out of the garden immediately, <laughs> and Adam should have made an emergency phone call to God. Hey, God, listen, man, I'm sorry to bother. I know you're busy, but man, let me tell you what the hell this woman just did. <laughs> I need to know, God, I didn't have nothing to do with this. If man would have done that right then and there, we might be having a different conversation right now. But instead, what did we do? We did what we as all black men do, and we choose to please the woman, and we refuse to serve God. Huh? And now that's where we are. We as black men been running from God since we left the Garden of Eden, and we still running from him. And look what happened. Adam and Eve had two kids, Cain and Abel. And what happened? Cain slayed Abel. You know what that was? That was your first black-on-black -black crime. What did I tell you in the beginning, nephew? Ain't nothing new under the sun. God said what you're doing now done already been done. This is our fault. We Jim. messed this up. Jim. That was excellent. You gave me something to think about. Yeah. You gave me something to think about. I need you all right now to go to youtube.com slash fearless with Jason Whitlock. Subscribe, hit that notification button. Support this show and support a level of truth and honesty and conversation that you've been dying for. All right, we're going to bring in Delano Squires. Delano has written a wonderful uh, article, uh, a debut article for TheBlaze.com and for Fearless. We're going to get into his article about the need for fearless men. All that and more. Next! Welcome back to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. Jason Whitlock joined by Uncle Jimmy, as always. All right, let's roll out to Washington, D.C. and bring on the newest a contributor to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. He'll be, he'll be writing columns for uh, Fearless. 
and he'll be making regular appearances right here on this podcast. Delano Squires, a father and husband and deep thinker in Washington, D.C. <laughs> Delano, welcome to the show. Thank uh, you for having me, Jason. You've written a marvelous debut. No, no worries. Good to have you here. We, you've written a marvelous debut uh, for Fearless. The, 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 the column can be found on uh, theblaze.com. It's titled, America Needs Fearless Men Now More Than Ever. Uh, before I bring you in, Delano, I want to read a couple of excerpts from it. American society is in a state of crisis. Violent crime is on the rise. Drug overdoses and suicides continue to be silent killers. The population seems more divided than ever, and millions of citizens are racked with fear and anxiety. Each of those outcomes is driven by multiple factors, but one that is undeniably tied to all of them is the failure of men to protect, provide, and lead. It's now just, it's not just low testosterone or men in dresses that are the issue. The problems most prominently on display are a loss of virtue, honor, dignity, courage, and responsibility. To quote C.S. Lewis, we are producing men without chest. When men are weak, women and children suffer. I want to read one more excerpt from later in the column. The United States is at the midpoint of a massive social experiment. Since the 1970s, radical feminists have used law, policy, and culture to convince our society that girl power means mimicking the sexual behavior and social norms of men. Fantastic column. Why did you write it, and why, why aren't we having this discussion more often? Why isn't this the pervasive conversation in corporate media? So again, uh, Jason, thank you. Thank you for having me on. Um, I wrote the column because it's true, first of all. Um, and I think the failure to pay attention to some of the issues um, socially and culturally that are going on um, and some, how some of those issues tie back to um, men and honestly our, our failure, as I said, to lead and protect our families um, is something that I, I feel very passionately about. Um, my highest calling, my greatest vocation is, a, is as a father and a, and a husband. Um, and that's, that's my family right there. And, and um, I'm honored to, to serve and to lead and protect them. And it's a, it's a God-given responsibility. And I think when, when, as I said, when men are weak or absent, even if they're physically present, if, if they are emotionally absent, um, everybody tends to, to feel the impact. So I, I thought it was important to bring light to that issue. And particularly in, in the African-American community, um, the, the issue of family is one that is almost never spoken about publicly. Um, our leaders, for some reason, believe that the... Um, opinions, the values, the beliefs, the behavior of white people in faraway counties and states is more important to the ultimate, you know, prospects of black families than, than the beliefs, behaviors, and actions of black people. So that's why they, they will focus all their attention on what they call white supremacy, which in fact, some of them believe the nuclear family itself is a function of white supremacy. Um, and they would rather focus on that than the condition of our families. So when you have almost three quarters of black children being born to, to unwed parents, um, that has an impact. It's undeniable, but for some reason, no one wants to say that publicly. And to be clear, this is not, this is not an issue um, confined to, to black Americans because the rates of going, are going up for um, people of all backgrounds. It's about 28% of whites and 52% of Hispanic children are also born to unwed, um, to unwed mothers. So to me, it's, it's one of the, if not the most important social issue facing us in America today, but it's one that no one wants to take up publicly. How much of this can be attributed to Delano, in my opinion, American society has gone so secular so away from God that marriage and family just aren't valued and, and the leadership of men isn't valued. I, I think, 
I want to say 100% of it is, is due to that. See, so I, as I wrote further in the column, um, I tend to form my opinions, you know, I'm, I'm a Christian, I'm, I'm open with that, I'm, you know, respect other people's beliefs, but, you know, my worldview is, is, is a biblical one. So when I look for, you know, the expectations of men or myself as a father and a husband, I, I look to the Bible, you know, and even the, the saying that there are such things as men and women and that there are only two sexes is a controversial statement nowadays. Um, but it, it wasn't a controversial statement to anyone prior to five years ago. So um, when I think about God creating, you know, men and women in his own image and likeness and the, the first family forming, you know, in Genesis where it says a, a man should leave his father and his mother and his cleave to his wife, um, I think our, our departure from, from that standard has caused many, many issues. Um, and I think, as you said, the, the secularization of, of our country um, and our political apparatus um, has aided that. So the, the culture tries to undermine families, you know, at every turn, whether in schools, um, you know, people talk about, you know, critical race theory, but that's not the only thing that schools are doing. Uh, schools are trying to indoctrinate our children in all types of ways. Um, in fact, when my wife and I were searching for a school for our, our daughter, I was doing some research and I found one, some of the schools were using, you know, a curriculum that was brought to them through Black Lives Matter at school. And one of the lessons that they had for students as young as three years old was on transgenderism. And they would have students watch a video about a person named um, Jazz Jennings, who has a show on cable. And after that, after the students watched that, they would be able to um, define the words transgender and non-binary. And I'm not, I'm not sure why anyone thinks that's something that three-year-olds need to be learning. Um, but all of those things undermine the family. Because if the society says that the best way to be a man is to act like a woman, and the best way to be a woman is to act like a man, then we're going to be in for some serious, serious trouble. Um, forget about our next generations, um, because, you know, we won't even be able to produce them. So... I've, I've been seeing that conversation, critical race theory, what's being taught in schools. It's raging all across America. Mm -hmm. I've seen a lot of, of parents, and, and recently I've been seeing black parents right mm -hmm. in there pushing mm -hmm. the fight as well. But, but it doesn't seem to be, again, I, me and Uncle Jimmy were talking before you came on about, I went home to Indianapolis for Fourth of July barbecue. Engage with family and friends. There's probably 30 of us at the barbecue. There was only one white person at the barbecue. It was all family, friends, people I grew up with. And, and smart people, college educated, uh, many of them, I'd say the majority of them, I think, involved in long-term traditional relationships. But when I brought up any of these topics, they seemed to be completely unaware that this was even an issue and even being discussed, all they could, literally, they kept driving the conversation back to the insurrection, uh, the alleged insurrection, Trump, the Proud Boys. Mm. And, and I'm like, man, the media has so confused us about what's really going on with us. And I'm talking to educated people. Yeah, I, I wish you could say you were alone in that experience, but I, I tend to see the same thing, um, both in my personal life and just sometimes, you know, perusing, you know, social media. Um, and and it, come, it comes from, honestly, it comes from the top, from the, the cultural tastemakers, policymakers. Um, every time I hear the president speak and, and he talks about threats to the homeland, alleged threats, um, it's always about white supremacy. And, and, in, and in many respects, the people who have the most influence in our culture would have the black folk who live in New Orleans and Baltimore and Detroit and Cleveland and St. Louis and New York think that in 2021, um, the Klan is a bigger threat to our lives than the Crips. So, so that's why anything that has to, that they can tie to, to white supremacy, they, they jump on it. And they say, see, uh, look, look at this white person being rude to a, a black guy in Central Park, um, threatening to call the police while they ignore 
instances of, of toddlers and seven-year-olds being, you know, shot on, on their stoop or, or um, in a McDonald's parking lot. So, and, and, and again, this is, this is the case across corporate media and, and particularly across um, the, the media that's supposedly um, focused on, on, you know, black issues. So uh, sometimes I, I will go on their social media feeds and I'll see, you know, what stories are trending and they'll have a story about an alleged hate crime somewhere. And I can't find a single one about any story um, in which the, the perpetrator is not either a police officer or, or a white person. Um, and, and, I, and I think that, that messaging over, over time, that continuous messaging has caused not just the larger society, but particularly in the black community to uh, misassess the threats that are coming to us um, and it's caused our, our elected officials to do things that they wouldn't normally do. Let, let, me, let me ask you and Uncle Jimmy a, a serious question. Do you think there's any way that, you know, the elected leaders in, pick a city, New York, Baltimore, Chicago, would respond to an increase in homicide and shooting, right, if in the same way that they do today, if the perpetrators were white? Do, do, do you think if, if the Klan was the one shooting up, um, you know, East Harlem or, or West Baltimore, that the response from the mayor would say, well, we just need more jobs and recreation centers and more activities for, for those uh, perpetrators. And then they wouldn't engage in this violent behavior. Of course not. So at the end of the day, what it, what, what's clear is that um, our elites, and again, both in culture and in media and in politics, are more concerned with the perpetrators of crime, the color of those perpetrators, than they are the victims of crime. I'm going to give you an example of something we talked about over the 4th of July weekend because literally three blocks from my mother's condominium, gated condominium community, uh, but literally three blocks from her at the Speedway gas station, a 49-year-old black man attempted to steal four Red Bulls. He walks out of the Speedway gas station with the four Red Bulls and an employee of the Speedway, another 49-year-old man, followed him out and shot him in the head. Wow. And we were talking at this barbecue about like, wow, if this guy that followed him out had been white, this would be national news. Everybody mm. in the country would be talking about this. Mm -hmm. But because it was another 49-year-old black man, it's a little nice little local secret in Indianapolis. I'm going to add another layer to it that blew my mind away, Delano. It's like, the guy that followed him out is a pastor at a church. Hmm. <laughs> it was, in the name of Jesus. I'm just like, Pistol wow, this is an amazing story. And I didn't know anything about it. Mm. I didn't know anything about it until I got home and, you know, we were talking about it. And, and, we, and I said, I was like... We know what what very well that if this was a white guy, everybody in the country would be talking about it. I, I want to go back to your column. You made an analogy at the towards the top of your column about the need for fearless men, and you gave an analogy about a mob coming mm -hmm. to someone's door. I, explain that analogy because sure. I want to tell you what it made me think of. But explain that analogy or walk us through that. So so the. Um, when I was writing, the, the picture in my head that I have um, of, of that particular passage, right? So I, I talked about a mob coming to the door of a local family, banging on the door, expecting to see the man of the house respond. But when the door opens, it's a teenage girl holding a rifle, right? I, I actually thought about one of the scenes in Malcolm X where the Klan came to um, the, the Malcolm X's, you know, his family home, and his, his dad answered and shot his gun off and ran him away. Um, so that, that was actually what I was thinking about as I was writing it. But really what I'm trying to say there is that um, when men are absent or, or asleep or just, you know, have abandoned their post, that everyone else in the house feels vulnerable. Um, and I, and I, I tied that in the, in the column, again, particularly in, in the African-American African community, we used to have leaders. So I, I referenced C. Dolores Tucker and uh, Reverend Calvin Butts, who would stand up to any threats, right, whether they be foreign or domestic, so to speak. Um, 
and we actually had a, a point in, in the early to mid-90s where some of the excesses of um, hip-hop culture, right, the violence, the, 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 the degradation of women could have been addressed, but for whatever reason, the culture, so to speak, and the consumers chose to side with the artists rather than the elders. And, and I think we have seen the impact of that uh, lack of protection in our community for a long time. And, and again, just, just to, to go back to it, if the people perpetrating these images um, and, and using these, these terms you know, and, and singing these lyrics were not black, our community would have a very, very different response to it. So for whatever reason, uh, we, we think that race hatred is more important than self-hatred. And that's, that's something that, um, at a certain point, we're going to have to address honestly, whether privately or publicly. But the problems are not going away. And, and I can tell you one last thing on that, on that particular analogy. Um, the person that makes me think of more than anyone, oddly enough, is Candace Owens. And I know a lot of people don't like her. She may be controversial. But she says things, and particularly ar around the impact of culture, that almost no other black leader, and certainly none who identify as Democrat or on the left, will touch publicly. Now, privately, we'll say a lot of things in the barbershop, at barbecues, at, at family events. But publicly, we'll say, oh, what Cardi B and Megan Thee Stallion says, it doesn't matter. Um, you know, it, it, who, who cares? It's just them expressing themselves. Uh, and then in the next breath, we'll say that representation matters and kids want to want to be what they see. But but she, I think, she reminds me of that little girl holding the rifle. Um, and sometimes she may not use it in ways that people like. She may fumble it. She may fire off an errant shot. But that's the picture you have when the most outspoken sort of public figure on the issues of black culture is is a is a is a is a young black woman. That means somebody else has has abandoned their post. I'm going to tell you what your analogy made me think of, and and okay. I almost called you and and <laughs> or wrote you a note and say, you want to put this in your column? And I was like, man, this is too hot because this analogy I'm gonna is is piping hot and it's controversial, okay. but it's what I really believe. And and so I'm reading your piece and I'm thinking about the damage being done by portraying all masculinity or virtually any form of masculinity as toxic. Mm. And so no one wants to really be macho or masculine anymore and take all, you know, damn near opening the door is damn near controversial. If you open a door for a woman, it's, it's nearly, you know, it's an insult almost. And so, and, and Delano, you know uh, my guy Curtis Schoon that I was mm -hmm. doing a podcast or weekly podcast with. He actually pointed this out to me months ago, maybe a year ago, when the Breonna Taylor thing got piping hot. And mm -hmm. everybody's upset about Bre Breonna Taylor getting killed. And Curtis said to me, he goes, man, I ain't got no respect for her boyfriend. Hmm. And it hit me hard. I'm not talking about the former boyfriend that was dealing drugs. And it made me say, like, oh, my God, the boyfriend is laying in bed with her when there's banging on the door. He doesn't say to his woman, baby, hang back here. Let me go see what this is about. And then I'll let you know if it's good for you to come out. They go out together to go see who's banging at the door. He takes a gun. He clearly thinks something could jump off, potentially. I, I, again, and it just helped me, like, we've so demonized masculinity and women have so jumped up that they stand in shoulder to shoulder with us and we think it's okay to carry them into danger. And Breonna mm. Taylor gets killed. And I'm just telling you, I'm an old-school idiot that maybe I'm a chauvinist pig or, or whatever, but I guarantee you, I, gu I, I guarantee you, put me in this spot. If that, the only person that would have got killed that night would have been me. That's all. Right. Because my no, woman would have been. I ain't going to shoot no damn police. I'm sorry. No, that's a lie. <laughs> I ain't shooting no damn police. I'm sorry. I'm I, sorry. I'm Jim, sorry. I agree with you. I would have never shot at him. But I'm just saying, if somebody in my home would have got killed, 
They would have had to walk back into that bedroom and execute her. She wouldn't have been standing out in the living room with me or anybody until the trouble was clear. And that was, when I was reading your deal, I was just thinking like, man, we've got this whole thing just screwed up. Oh, yeah. Men refuse to be masculine and carry themselves with honor. And it's like, if the Titanic happened today, it would be filled with men and women would be back on the boat uh, drowning and all the life rafts would be taken up by men. I don't yeah. need your life raft. I can go by myself. <laughs> it's, 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 it's a sad irony, right? So in, in one respect, you'll hear people say, um, you know, the black woman is the most unprotected and unloved uh, person in society. But then when black men want to assert themselves and, and you know, and, and their masculinity, they'll say, well, that's toxic. We don't want that. So, and, and I think you, you've seen the effects of that. And it's, again, it's not just black men. I think men in, in general of you know, later generations are just they're soft and, and, and insecure and indecisive. They won't plan dates. They won't take initiative. I mean, 80 years ago, at 22, a guy would have already served a tour in, in Korea or, or overseas somewhere, come back home, took a job at the plant, and married with two kids. And, and you know, now a 22-year-old needs a, a comfort squirrel and a coloring book uh, to deal with the results of an election. So we, we, in many respects, like many things that the United States produces, um, we're not making them like we used to. And that's, and that's going to be a problem. Because a lot of times when I see guys nowadays, I just ask myself, is this the type of guy that, that a woman can, can um, build a life with, right? Is, can he be a solid rock for a family? When they, start, when they come home with their issues, whether a wife or children, whether at work or at school, is he going to be solid, or is he going to run out first when things start to get tough? And that's that's really what I would like to see in our in our future generations because we're we're a country at this point. Um, almost all of our public conversations are about history, right? And and I I respect and honor the mm -hmm. past, but any people that spend more time talking about the the you know the society that that their ancestors had to endure rather than the one that their descendants will inherit um, is going to be in trouble. Um, so I, I'd, I'd much rather keep my eyes downrange thinking about, you know, what this culture will look like, the ones, the one that my, my children will inherit and their children, because I'm right now I'm raising my grandchildren's parents. So I, I tend to keep my eyes on that. And, and right now it's not looking particularly good. And that's why I think um, we need more men who are willing to, to and particularly black men, who are willing to stand up. Um, everybody talks about using your voice until you use it for something that they don't like. Um, and use our voice and, and say, look, we're going to be reckoned with. If you're coming in and you're bringing solutions, all of your solutions, I don't care if you're a Republican or a conservative, if all of your solutions start with the government, you're doing it wrong. The family is the first institution that God created before prophets and, 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 and before priests there was a family. So if you have a, a, a forward vision for any community that doesn't involve the family, again, you, you're doing it wrong. You need to start from scratch. Delano, we'll end on this note. You say we're, in the mid, we're at the midpoint of this social experiment. Right. Give us your prediction. How does this end? <sighs> that is a great question and a timely question. And for me, it, I, I can't help but think about, you know, Come the words Come on, man, of my answer the question, man. <laughs> I, I got you, Uncle Jimmy. <laughs> I, I, can't, I can't think, I can't help but think about the words of my pastor this, this um, Sunday. This past Sunday we were going through, um, you know, one of the Old Testament books of, of prophecy. And things were really looking bad. But again, if, if your hope is in something bigger than yourself, and, and particularly if your hope is in Christ, um, I'm confident that, that, you know, we may lose a few battles, but ultimately we, we will win this war. Delano, thank you so much. Great job. Uh, we'll guys. see you again on Friday. All right, I need you guys that are watching, listening right now to subscribe, hit that youtube.com slash fearless with Jason Whitlock, hit that subscribe and notification button. Don't go anywhere. We got a lot more good stuff coming up. Greg Couch, another fearless contributor.
He's going to give us his take on game one of the NBA Finals. We'll switch gears, talk some sports, back away from the, the super serious conversation and get into one of my favorite lanes. It used to be one of my favorite lanes, the sports lane. All that and more. Start! Welcome back to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock, joined, of course, by my right-hand man, Uncle Jimmy. All right, we're going to roll out to uh, Chicago and talk to one of Chicago's best sports columnists, sports writers, longtime friend of mine, now a contributor uh, for Fearless and the Blaze, Greg Couch. Uh, Greg uh, wrote a column, his debut column for Fearless and the Blaze, about last night's NBA Finals, uh, Game 1, Chris Paul and the Phoenix Suns beat uh, the Milwaukee Bucks in Game 1. Chris Paul scores 32 points. But, of course, the NBA has been immersed, or NBA coverage, gossip, social media, Twitter, has been immersed in what uh, Greg cleverly called in his column uh, Real Housewives of ESPN, uh, the Maria Taylor... Uh, Rachel Nichols feud, and Greg kind of made a good point in his column of, is that feud, is Real Housewives of the e of ESPN, is that overshadowing the greatness of Chris Paul and what he's accomplishing here at the end of his career? Uh, Greg, uh, further elaborate on the column and, and why you wrote it and why that was your take after game one. Well, it just reminded me a little bit of a million years ago when Tanya Harding and Nancy Kerrigan were fighting in the figure skating and, and overwhelmed the entire Olympics and people were concentrating on whether one skater was passing within 10 feet of another one in warm-ups. This uh, Taylor and Nichols feud just is overwhelming the, the NBA Finals. And I'm watching that game last night and thinking about Taylor and Nichols and it's sort of only hitting me you know, Chris Paul has had this amazing career. He's 36 years old. He's on his fifth team. And he had part of the, he was part of that trade where he was supposed to play for the Lakers and it got nixed by the commissioner. And this guy could really have been one of the all time great point guards. Instead, he's just a guy out there who's, I mean, he's a great player, but he's known as just a guy out there who has a huge hole in his resume. So it's kind of heartwarming to see the guy have a, have a shot at actually getting there. But meanwhile, it's hard to not look at the at the you know at the traffic accident on the expressway between all the ESPN uh, you know celebrities that they have over there who are fighting it out, uh, <laughs> backstabbing, and there's no one no one is a victim over there. All those people are are fighting it out in a dirty kind of way, including Nichols, although a little less her than than Taylor. So it, it's hard not to look at that, but it's unfair and, and makes me feel like Paul really deserves his moment. All right, so we'll unpack these things one at a time. And let's start with Chris Paul and what he's doing. And for particularly for this audience, let's walk him through a little bit of what happened to Chris Paul a decade ago. He's supposed to get traded to the Los Angeles Lakers and be paired with Kobe Bryant, one of the greatest basketball players of all time. Educate this audience a little bit on what happened to Chris Paul a decade ago and what's happened to Chris Paul over the past decade. Okay, well, a decade ago, he's he is part of a trade that's it's all worked out with the general manager. He's going to go to the Lakers and and like you said, he's going to play with Kobe and and you know the commissioner David Stern at the time steps in and and nixes the thing and he never really explained it all that well. Uh, Years later, he came around and said, well, the trade was a bad one and, and not too fair. Uh, but what really what seems to have happened was that a bunch of team owners kind of gathered up and, and ganged up on uh, on Stern and, and said, hey, the Lakers are just going to be too good here. They're going to they're not only are they getting a great player, but also they're going to get extra space under the cap because of the way the deal was worked out. And the fear was that they might even be able to land Dwight Howard, which at the time was a major seemed to be as a major coup. And they might just have the first super team and just be this uh, dominant force for 10 years. And instead, you know, he stops the tr the commissioner stops the trade, and, and next thing you know, Paul is playing for the Clippers because the trade was was agreed to uh, sending him over there. But you know, the point is, had he played all those years with with Kobe, I mean, just think of how many championships he'd have right now, and and uh, 
a lot of it is obviously his talent is great, but a lot of it's also about being in the right place at the right time. And sort of through uh, no fault of his own, he his his he didn't get to be in the right place at the right time when he really should have been. And so here's Chris Paul at 36, 37 years old, has never won a championship. Some people don't regard him as one of the five greatest point guards, even the 10 greatest point guards of all time because he doesn't have a championship. And, and some people, like, have him beneath John Stockton, who also doesn't have a championship, the, the former Utah Jazz great. And, and I've always contended that Chris Paul is the Isaiah Thomas of this generation. Isaiah Thomas was an undersized point guard, played at Indiana University for Bob Knight, goes to the NBA, and in the Michael Jordan, Larry Bird, Magic Johnson heyday, Isaiah builds a championship team, a two-time championship team in Detroit. Isaiah, one of the greatest leaders. Isaiah led the Players Union. Chris Paul leads the NBA Players Union now. Chris Paul is a great leader, the kind of guy that gets under the kind of these pampered NBA players' skin now. So a, a bit of his, from not being able to pair with Kobe and win championships, his reputation has been smeared as like, oh, he's a good player, but he doesn't get along with anybody, and now he's on his fifth different team. And you made the point, he's kind of like our first journeyman superstar. I mean, who, 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 superstars, generally speaking, don't travel to five different teams unless they're like Dwight Howard, some sort of headache, some, some sort of head case that someone can't handle. But, but again, I think you're right. If he had played with Kobe and won championships, I think he would be right there with Isaiah Thomas, with whoever else is considered the second or third best point guard after Magic Johnson. I, I don't know, if, can they put Steph Curry in that classification as a point guard? Uh, I'm, you know, as much as he shoots, I'm, 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 he plays with Klay Thompson. But, but anyway, he's right in that group and right in that discussion. And so his reputation was diminished by being denied something that I'm sure he felt like he had earned the right to be traded to the Lakers and to pursue that kind of greatness. Yeah, and I've, I've actually spent a lot of time last night trying to find old clips of, of what Chris Paul might have said about that trade and whether he felt he got ripped off or anything. And he, he I feel like he sort of held his tongue pretty well. I, I, don't, I don't know if there's something out there where he complained or pitched a fit like, like we're seeing with, the, with you know, Taylor and, uh, and, and uh, the ESPN celebrities over there. But he, he just, uh, yeah. thank you. <laughs> Rachel Nichols and I even know her that's a bad thing for me to forget her name but uh you know he <laughs> you know he can run the offense and he can he can shoot too as we find out now with 32 points last night and 41 in the last game of the conference finals so uh uh you know he can do it all and I, I do think he's sort of proved in the last few days that he he's a big game player but um you know maybe that's unfair too you know, you look at some of these people just being in the right spot. Like we're seeing Scottie Pippen now all upset that he's been cast as the sidekick to, to Michael Jordan. I mean, that, what, what would he be right now if he hadn't been the sidekick to Michael Jordan? I mean, he wouldn't be writing a book and selling a bourbon now or whatever else he's doing <laughs> years later. So, you know, he got the benefit of being in the right place at the right time. Greg, one of the great points I thought you made, and it's a good segue into talking about the other half of this story is, look, Chris Paul, when this happened to him a decade ago, he knows how talented he is, he's confident in his talent, and he has a will to succeed, and that probably explains why he doesn't throw some incredible tantrum and doesn't let that mar the rest of his career or, or try to get in some blood feud with David Stern and the whole NBA because he knew he had the talent, he has the confidence, he has the will to succeed. He played the long game and said, eventually this is going to work out for me. I wonder if I look across at Maria Taylor and Rachel Nichols and wonder if they have that same level of talent, confidence, and will to succeed. They, they, they're both... They're in a dispute about who's going to be the host of the NBA countdown, and they, the reaction 
has been a bit over the top, in my view, from Maria Taylor's perspective. I can't figure out for the life of me what Rachel Nichols did wrong other than gossip on the phone with a friend. But give me your take. Walk, who, who's the bad guy? Who, I'm going to give you three candidates for the worst people in this group. ESPN <laughs> management, Maria Taylor, or Rachel Nichols. Rank them one to three. Oh, man. Uh, I guess I'll go with... It's hard when you say worst because I think that Maria Taylor is playing the most cynical uh, cynical play out there. But it's also genius. And if I ever want to have an agent again, I'd probably wonder if she'd be willing to do it. So does that make her the worst? I mean, uh, <laughs> uh, I guess ESPN's Explain the worst. Explain to me why it's genius. Because she's she's complaining. I mean, she's upset that Nichols has has said that there's race involved in her hiring. And yet now she just sits on that information. And a year later, I mean, I, I don't know this for a fact, but it seems like Taylor is the one who released that or leaked, leaked the video or audio. And she's, first of all, she's upset about it, the idea that race got her, helped get her her job. And now she's using race to try to pressure ESPN to give her a big raise. I mean, she's, she's complaining about something and using it at the exact same time. You, she's, when you're looking at this, the way the media work and they're all sort of champion every little cause right now they champion women in sports media and so maria taylor and and rachel nichols they're like the, the media don't know what to do right now they have to throw one over and, and cheer on the other one and i think that the game that maria taylor's playing is you know she's daring espn they don't want to give her the eight million dollars that stephen a smith gets that's what she wants apparently they've offered her five million and she's daring them okay I'm the I'm a victim here. I'm a victim of, of a race of a racial issue. Now go ahead and not pay me my money and throw me out the door. I dare you to try that. So I think she's using race to get the money. At the same time, complaining about the idea that she used race to get the money. I mean, it's it's genius that you can get away with complaining about exactly what you want. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I think that makes her number one on the worst list. Who's number or two? <laughs> Well, I mean, it's weird that ESPN management is so weak that, that they've known that Rachel Nichols did this for a year and they didn't really do anything to her. I mean, if they actually cared what Rachel Nichols said, they would have done something to her at the time rather than just letting Maria say, well, I don't want to be on the air at the same time with Rachel Nichols, so they have to record Rachel Nichols instead of putting them on there so they have to interact. ESPN didn't really do anything here until they found until they were sort of forced to do it. I mean, did they have some sort of ethical or moral stance? I mean, I'm I'm with you. I don't think Rachel Nichols really did anything that terrible. She did a few things that are sneaky in, in its own way. But uh, you know, what is ESPN's stance? We're okay with you undermining someone as long as nobody else knows about it. I mean, what what are they actually standing for? And now they're going to have to pay for their their weakness. It's just weak management. So they needed to step in and say whatever their actual feelings were in the first place to to one or the other or both of them. As for Rachel Nichols, I mean, she listen. She go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, well, Rachel Nichols, I mean, she was having a private conversation, and if I lost out on a job that I had, I'd probably be whining to a friend of mine also. So it's hard to get on her too badly. But she was going to someone who has access to LeBron. She was getting advice from him. She was seeking advice from him on how to get through this. And, you know, I mean, maybe she was after keeping Maria Taylor from getting that sort of access to LeBron or something. I don't, I don't know what she was after, but it wasn't, it wasn't all 100% uh, just innocent you know, niceness. I mean, she was she was after. I don't really mind that she said that Maria Taylor race was involved in her helping helping her get a job because I think that's probably obvious. But uh, she was after trying to fix the problem. She was seeking help. She was asking for advice. And uh, <laughs> but I do know that if uh, you know if if I, she's in a hotel room and ESPN has set up cameras and 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 you know microphones there and somehow they recorded her when she's in her private moment. That's she should be suing somebody over that. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. That is, she should yeah. be suing somebody if this, I mean, because they took her show off the air yesterday. They denied her. She was the sideline reporter for the NBA Finals. They withdrew that from her. She's getting a lot of punishment for being number three on this list, and she wouldn't even make my list of, and, and look, there's other crimes 
that I'm sure, because, look, she's an ambitious person. I'm going to take woman out of it. She's just an ambitious person. Ambitious people do sneaky things. In this case here, she's just not guilty. And I've heard people say, well, I know Rachel Nichols, and she's done X, Y, and Z, blah. But in this case here, she's done nothing other than gossip with a friend like everybody else does in America when something doesn't go right on their job. If me, you, Uncle Jimmy, anybody else was uh, private conversations were leaked, we'd all probably look pretty foolish and insensitive. I I just can't believe, and I'll get your prediction on this because I've talked to a lot of people. I've been gossiping about this all during my free time. Do you think... (laughs) Maria Taylor gets the money. Does ESPN eventually give Maria Taylor the money? Does her ploy work? I'm going to go with yes, because one other thing that Maria Taylor did that was genius was going after the person who could fill her spot. I mean, she's undermined the, the perfect uh, replacement. Uh, so, and, and also, you, it's going to be hard for ESPN, which is very let's just say woke, wokey sensitive to, to let a black woman leave after she's theoretically been victimized for being black. I just, I can't see it. I can't see them letting her go. I think she probably earned herself a few million dollars with this play. So yeah, she's a bad, it's a bad thing, but it's genius. I'd like to have her fighting on my side. <laughs> All right, Greg, we're going to let you go. We'll see you tomorrow. Uh, I think you got something cooking on a tennis player Naomi Osaka, did I get that right? Uh, you know, she's doing a documentary, but she doesn't want to talk to the media. Uh, <laughs> I think we'll talk to you about that tomorrow. Great job. Uncle Jimmy, before we go, and Greg, you're done. Before we go, Uncle Jim, do you think Maria Taylor is going to get this money? Remember what I tell you yesterday? It's WWESPN. It's already predetermined. Man, they already know Maria going to keep that title, man. She, that, that's already predetermined. <laughs> this ain't even real, man. He, he told you that. She keeps the title. She keeps her belts. Yes! <laughs> She's the new champion. And they give her Hulk Hogan money or who? who yes! Who, Ric Flair. Who's the, who's the top? The, the top, top? You know who the top female wrestler is? Uh-huh. Charlotte Flair. Ric Flair's daughter. Is that right? Yes! And that's who Maria Taylor is? That's who Maria Taylor is. All right. There you go. All right, don't go anywhere. Go to YouTube.com, though, while you're watching this, and slash Fearless with Jason Whitlock. Hit that subscribe button. Hit that notifications button. Join the Fearless party and support this type of earth-shattering, breathtaking truthfulness that you can't get anyplace else. All right, when we come back, we're going to get to the approval rating. We're going to play Guess Who Uncle Jimmy is Bringing to Dinner. He's got another impersonation. I can't wait. All that and more. All right, welcome back to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock. Glad you're here. All right, it's time to play a little game we call Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. Uncle Jimmy uh, does an impersonation. And I try to guess who it is, who you're bringing on to the show. You ready? I'm ready, man. Let's go. All right. Well, ready? Here we go. Go ahead. Let me guess All who's right, coming no, to dinner. Ready? Here we go. Yeah. First of all, let me, let me take this off here. All right. Hey, right? Now, yeah. get my hair up like. Doing your Jalen Rolls again or no, what? No, wait. Hold on. Let me take my glasses off. Okay. Who? Okay. No. I don't yeah, okay. Well, okay. Hold on. Let me, let me go back. Yeah. It, it, Chicago had 100 shootings. Had a hundred shootings in Chicago. It's terrible. Did you see it? Trump people came out and was shooting everybody. <laughs> hmm? In Chicago, remember what happened? What? The Chicago, look, man, the Chicago don't care about what's going on with, the, with, with these black people out here, man. They, they, they don't care. Who are you, Jesse? You Louis Farrakhan? Who? No, man, look, I'm, man, look, I'm, look, look, who's the mayor? Who's the mayor? Who's the mayor of Chicago? What's her name? Lori Lightfoot. All right, I'm her twin brother, Larry Lightfoot. <laughs> That's who I am. Okay, and I'm out here, I'm talking about the, the injustices that's been going on in the streets of Chicago. The Trump administration and what they doing out there. Trump's out of office. Uh, it, it's still all of that. They, they're not caring about the plight of the black man and what's happening in Chicago. What about Juicy Smollett? 
What about Juicy Smollett? They still Jussie. ain't. Jussie, you mean? Yes, Juicy Smollett. They, they still have not found. Look what they did to that boy, man. Who? Look what they did to Juicy. What did they, they do? They they tied a noose around his neck. It didn't make him go to Subway. It didn't talk about that boy. Talking about that boy did that to himself. Black people can't tie their own damn shoe. How the hell they know how to tie a noose? <laughs> that was a hoax, Jim. That was real. He hired two people to look. Me and my sister ain't close, okay? But I know for a fact that that was real. Now that's another subject. She stole one of my girlfriends, and we ain't never been the same since, but I forgive her. <laughs> Ever since then, I shunned off white women, by the way. <laughs> Hold on. So, Lori Lightfoot... My that, sister? My twin sister. ...has a twin brother. Le Larry? Is that who you say? That, that's who I am. Yes, sir. Larry yes, sir. Lightfoot. And I'm out here in these streets every day <laughs> speaking about the injustices that's going on in my city of Chicago. You do kind of look like Lori. I'm just Lightfoot. telling you. I, I'm out here trying to put in the work. I'm making it safe so that your kids can go to the bathroom with a transgender person. <laughs> All right, Jim, I think it's time to move on and to get to our approval rating. This is how we end every show. Uh, we start by with the topic of the day. Yes, sir. And if I if I remember right, our yeah, Bill Cosby. Oh boy. All right, so let's get to the approval rating. There you go. All right, Jim. Bill Cosby is our approval rating, and I'm I'm a little bit nervous about how you're gonna rate uh, Dr. Cosby here. I started out the show talking about a little bit about why I still have respect uh, for Bill Cosby and but not I, I hope you don't go overboard with uh, too much respect and I have nothing but love and respect for Bill nothing but love and respect honestly so if you're I have nothing but love and respect for him I ain't got no, there's nothing else Jim he what? he's there were some serious allegations he went to jail okay I'm gonna tell you in the yeah. words of OJ Simpson Allegedly. Okay, come on, man. <laughs> so you're comparing Bill to OJ? Not guilty. They found him anyway. <laughs> come on, man. Look, again, I'm caught in the middle. This is what this is the other thing I left out of the barbecue back in Indianapolis. That that Bill Cosby was the starting point of my discussion. And that's what set a lot of people off. Why? What? I, I said I wasn't all that mad at Bill Cosby getting released from prison because I don't know if justice was served there, and people are upset with me about that. And I know I, I'm not going to debate this. Let's whole go, thing. man. We got let's, business, but let's go. Yeah. Uh, so job performance for Bill, I guess he's still a comedian. Uh, I do like, he just put out a statement, though, calling out the media. I kind of like that. B Bill... Bill kind of sounded like a Trump supporter uh, <laughs> with his statement he put out. He's, he said the media is actually doing the insurrection. So I got uh, Bill at a job performance of 10. You know, he's out on parole or whatever. He's you know, No, actually, he's not on, even on parole. He's not even on parole. The conviction got overturned. It's got overturned. Yeah, so, so and I got him at a job performance. So for that alone, since the conviction is overturned, that alone, he gets a 25 for job performance. He did his job. What was his off. job? Oh, got the up. hell up out of there. All right, got out of jail. You know, he blind in prison. He, I, I, I got a friend who was a guard. They, they said he was very manable. Said he'd be talking to the women guard, talking about, yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Yeah, you know, real nice. <laughs> All right, uh, I can't wait to hear this one. Character. How would you assess Bill Cosby's character, given 50, 60 women have made allegations? Before I give sort. you mine, yeah. how would you? Oh, yeah. Before I give mine. Yeah. I'm going to put him at a five in terms of character uh, just because of the allegations, just because I just don't want my email blowing up or my Twitter feed blowing up. I want them to be mad at you, not me. First of all, you give him a five, yeah. I give him a five also, except I give him a 25. Okay? <laughs> because he's played his character to the hilt, and he has not changed. And for those of you uh, watching this at home, 
the score can actually be zero to 25. Jim has given him a perfect score. Because you told me I can't give him a 26. <laughs> <laughs> we add these up at the end to get your overall. But anyway, authenticity. Jim, I, I will give him a perfect score here in terms of authenticity. Bill Cosby, do you know they offered him a plea deal at the beginning of all these allegations? I think a, a misdemeanor plea deal they offered him. I don't think he would have had to serve any jail time. And Bill was like, no, we're going to court because I didn't do this. People don't talk about that. Bill has kept it real from day one. He could have, he did two, three years in the joint. He could have walked with a plea bargain for Mr. Meter. Instead, he kept it 100, kept it real. So I think Bill is very authentic. I'm going to give him a 25. I did not know that. If it's okay with you, I'm going to change my grade. <laughs> I don't well, know Bill if it's could okay. have knocked on the prison. Yes. But he chose to go to prison? He chose to fight the case. Oh, that's dumb as hell. I give him a five. <laughs> I give him a five for authenticity. Ain't no way in hell. Mm-mm. Nope. I could have And I'm 80 some odd years old. It's time for me to be making plans to meet Jesus. I'm not going to jail. Mm -mm. Bill was not gonna cop a plea. Bill, you should have copped a plea. No, he shouldn't have copped a plea. Oh, okay. Well, see, that's why he got a five and you gave him a 25. Uh, yeah, see, I be yeah. sitting at home with my pride. He was not taking them charges because he felt like he's innocent, and I respect that. I respect that, too, but I would be I would be respecting it from my home and my computer when I told you how much I like it. <laughs> I didn't know he had a chance. I thought they rode, rode, railroaded him. Hell, come it on, man. It factor. It factor. I've got Bill at a 20. He's still charismatic and a lightning rod. Uh, you know, people still are going to respond to what he has to say. Like, he put out a statement and people responded to it. He put out a statement basically saying the American media, that's who's doing the indirection. So I, I give him a 20 for it factor. I give him credit for the man went to jail, came back out of jail, you beat him down. He's still talking. He's still talking. He ain't, you ain't shut him up. You, I, I give him a 25 for the it factor because he's still it to me. All right, so a lot of people are going to be upset. Neither one of us have Bill at a dumpster fire. Uh, Jimmy, you got him actually at a smoke show. It's a smoke show. Please tell the people what a smoke show is. What? I can't, Jim, when we yeah, start talking about Jim act like he didn't know what a smoke show is. Anyway, I got Bill at a 60 total, candlelit, just above a dumpster fire. Uh, but, but Jim, a smoke show is what people say a good-looking man or woman is. Oh, that's a smoke show. That, that person's like, I can't believe you haven't heard that. that. You know what that means? No one's ever called you a smoke show. No, they called me a show before. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. That is true. I can attest to that. I've been called a smoke show. Anyway. That's it, that that's all. That was a lie. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> that's it, and that's all for us today. We'll see you tomorrow.